welcome back to Are Your Parents Proud of You? I am not your host, Matthew Schufrider. I am your something else, Griffin McCorkle. Matthew Schufrider is, is right over there. Hi, hi, Matt. How are you doing? Hey, Griffin, buddy. How are you? I'm doing all right. Do you have a nice Thanksgiving? I had a pretty simple Thanksgiving. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Fam- the, only the family in the house was around. Uh, we played some family-only football in the backyard. Turns out I suck at football. Wow, I, I never could have guessed that. I, I don't get why, because my, my dad goes, Matt, go along, and I just keep going and going and going, and then I hit the fence in our backyard. So it's like, what's the point? Well, and then you get a concussion, which is just on brand for being for playing football. <laughs> anyway, uh, Matt, who's our guest today? Oh, uh, this guy is awesome. His name is Gabe Freeze. Want to hear something funny about this guy, uh, Griffin? I surely do. So his last name is spelled like Fries, F-R-I-E-S, but it's pronounced Freeze. Oh, so it's literally like uh, the Batman villain, Mr. Freeze. Yeah. His, his, where his real name is Freeze, but spelled like Gabe spells it. <laughs> uh, Gabe is an actor who has performed in Boston and St. Louis and has taught theater workshops in Italy, France, and China. When he's not acting or vagabonding, Gabe likes to sit by the lake and strum his ukulele. He holds a BA in film studies from Wesleyan University. And we talk so much about film. We talk about theater. We talked about his travels around the world. Uh, great guy. He can always make you laugh here and there. So without further ado, let's uh, chit chat on over to our conversation with Gabe Freeze. Lovely. Hello, Gabe. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> My pleasure. No, it's, it's great to be on a, a podcast. I feel really fancy by... You know, I'm like, like I've hit the big time or something. Right. Is this your first podcast? Um, I have been on one other podcast. It was actually a couple of years ago. A friend of mine, Jenna Ennis, who doesn't live in Chicago anymore. She had a podcast called Jiving with Jenna. And it was actually, I forgot what the theme of the podcast was, but for that particular one, it was actually me talking about some music I had written and I played some songs as part of the podcast on my ukulele. So is this podcast still up? <laughs> yeah, <it's somewhere. laughs> the sound mixing on it is pretty bad. So like I'm extremely loud and she's very quiet. <laughs> so it's a little, it's, but yeah, I'll, I'll try to find it. I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's, what's it called? Jamming, jiving? Jiving, jiving with Jenna. I don't know if it's still up, but I'll look for it. Yeah. And then, Je- uh, yeah. And, and I, you can, you can hear some of my musical stylings. Jenna, if you're listening. I have the Gabe on the show. <laughs> so I don't, there's something I really want to bring up because I was practicing this in the mirror before we started today. It's your last yeah. name. So is it fries or is it freeze? Please explain. It's a, so yeah. So the, the little slogan I, I use is spelled hot, but you say it cold. So in other words, it's spelled like fries, like French fries, but it's pronounced mm-hmm. freeze, like Mr. Freeze. In fact, if you uh, like Bat or in Batman mythology, that like Doctor Freeze, when he's not the villain, it's actually spelled the same as mine. Um, it's because it's like a German origin last name. Uh, but then when mm-hmm. he becomes the villain, then it becomes stylized and it's like freeze, you know, like R E E Z. But yeah, a friend of mine. I wish I came up with that slogan. It was not me. It was my uh, a friend of mine in uh, high school. Um, but what I, what I like it because when I go into audition rooms and stuff, if somebody gets it right the first time, like I'm automatically like, well, this person just earned a bunch of points. So you just lost a bunch of points in other words. <laughs> well, I'm in debt regardless. So I don't even care. Uh, do you get like any nicknames because of it? Um, I mean, some people in high school and stuff called me like Frenchie or like, um, I've got definitely been called Mr. Freeze, but by some people or like but also like Gabe like people have called me honest Gabe before you know like like uh, you know like so uh, there's, right. there's a few different things that come with it I asked that because like my last name is Schufreiter and that's like a name of itself but if you like sound it out you hear the word shoe so people just call me shoe and then like, like the mix of names were like dirty shoe old shoe clean shoe <laughs> just depends so, on how they feel about you on that particular day right 
Right. So like in high school, we had the same theater teacher and I could tell if I was like screwing up in rehearsals, like we did the miracle worker, uh, like my senior year of high school. And that was like my first big lead. I played the father and you could just tell if like the director would be, uh, if I was like screwing up or missing a line, she just goes, Hey, old shoe over there. Uh, I was like, like, what the hell did I do? Did that contribute to a lot of like insecurities when you were when you were younger? And I became an actor after that too, like full time. (laughs) Right. That's uh, yeah. We all have those that baggage that we carry with us in our profession. Yeah. So now I know. Uh, So what's life like? This is pandemic life for anyone. We're recording this episode uh, after the election, no less, too, like a week after. Yeah. So what's how's life? It's quite a time. I don't know how political we want to get on here. Um, I will say I had a good weekend, right? I mean, it was uh, (laughs) was a big relief, I think, for a lot of people in Chicago. Um, And it was, uh, yeah, after that whole tense week of not knowing what was happening, it was like this explosion of like, I mean, there's just, yeah, this is going to be, yeah. For those of you listening to this, 20 years from now, if you wanted to know what it was like during the the 2020 election, it was just people (laughs) partying in the street, honking their horns, waving flags. Right. Um, yeah, it was a good time. But yeah, pandemic's weird, you know, right? I mean, for lack of a better word. <laughs> um, I've I've been surprised at how much work I've still been able to get during the pandemic. Um, I mean, certainly it's slowed down a lot and certainly it's it's smaller things than I might be doing normally. But, um, but yeah, I've been able to keep busy and like, it's been fun, you know, f- seeing the ways that people are adapting to this time. I think there's a lot of, some adaptations I think are better than others. Um, right. But I mean, no offense to Zoom. I just think Zoom is not a good medium for theater. I mean, it's like, I don't, I, I think, I think it's good in the moment. I'm glad that we're still doing this, but like, it's just hard. You can't even make eye contact with people, you know, right? It's like impossible right. to make eye contact. That's the biggest problem with it for me. It's just, there's so many other ways to, things to do digitally on your computer. But like, I like that it's happening. Like for me as an artist to be able to still find ways to practice my craft in a time when we cannot gather in crowds which is the essence of what the theater is which is the majority of what I do as an actor it's um yeah it's weird yeah how about you how are are you doing it's 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 I kind of agree with the zoom because I was in my last semester of college during all this oh right I didn't realize that yeah so I, I was in my last acting class and the day, the week of our shutdown, I went up to my last my professor and I said, "We better not be doing acting online." And he's like, "Oh no 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 no, you're you're fine." Like again, I sent in like a couple of monologues, but I I like to use this phrase of like I became a better artist than a better actor because I was able to sort of find like new ways to see stay creative. Like I did a quarantine podcast, or I did more writing. Um, I. I'm now a pre-K teacher. So now I am learning how to do arts nice. and crafts all the time. And it's such a effing nightmare to do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird, it's definitely, I mean, and I'm somebody, what is that? What are the, what are they called? Like polyglot or something? You know, like I'm, yeah. I'm somebody who has a lot of interests or a lot of, um, um, you know, there's a lot of things I enjoy doing. Um, yeah, I guess Renaissance Man would be another way to describe it. I guess Renaissance Man, I feel like implies I'm good at everything. I don't want to be conceited. I'm great at everything I try to do. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a pro at everything. No, yeah. but um, I I enjoy a lot of things. So I think I'm trying to also focus on things, you know, maybe beyond acting that I enjoy doing, you know, during this time, because it's a little bit of a hiatus, right? In In sort of the what I love most about I think one of my favorite things about acting is just that community like the the doing creating art in a group which Mm -hmm. yeah there's just something the energy is not the same on zoom you know as there as it is in person even if you can create art in a group on zoom you know right I actually just did a play and it was going to happen in the spring but now it's in the fall and we did it all through zoom and I mentioned this before in the podcast but it's just it was such a nightmare and such a challenge for me to like stay in it because I'm the only one in the room and you know at one point of a, a wi-fi problem could happen and I can't hear or someone's throat freezing up and it was just this challenge for me to stay in it for that amount of time 
yeah it's it's really it it does i mean i mean acting is always a a you know a job of the imagination but i feel like we're having to use that aspect of our acting toolbox more than ever because it's like you really have to like you know i'm i if i'm if i'm in a play i'm like sitting in my room it's like oh my closet's over there like it's like you have to really <laughs> and it's like yeah you're look you're on a computer screen like you're not even physically mm-hmm. with them it's like you really have to use your mind to put you in that space and it's hard it's hard yeah mm. i don't have a ring light and so the director's like go get a ring light and the the cheap bastard i am i just grabbed every lamp that i have in my room and <laughs> just put it in the, and i'm playing around with the bedroom lights i don't have a ring light at all and i don't have anywhere to put my laptop so i just grabbed the laundry basket and just stacked it on top I was trying to, it's in the shoe right away. Right away, I was very cheap and very creative all at the same time. <laughs> that sounds, uh, yeah, that sounds like some risky moves there at the laptop, but um, I'm glad you, you survived. I've, I've had, oh, well. there was, I lost one of my laptops by, it was on top of a printer and I was printing something and the vibration from the printer <laughs> made it slightly start to slide. And then like, I saw it happening and it was like in slow motion. Like I was like, you know, and I was like going to, and then, but, but like I saw it and it like landed, it like slid off, hit like one corner of the laptop, hit the floor with a really strong impact. And I saw it, I was like, oh, I think it's still on. And it was like, and then it just like turned off. Oh, good. Like, so so if, if there's a lesson for any of this, maybe don't do yeah, what you're doing. Don't put your laptop, don't, don't put your laptop on top of your laundry basket, I think. Right. That's listeners at home. <laughs> <laughs> see on this show we can give lessons in on the arts and in like in home life so you know it's it's a time you we we're all learning things in this time and um we can all impart our lessons to each other right well speaking of learning well i want to learn a little bit about you um you grew up yeah. nice segue um in bellevue belleville sorry in illinois right yeah belleville or as it's sometimes termed by locals bell vegas oh <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> there's nothing glamorous, and there's no gambling that there, at least not legally, that I know of. But yeah, it's just um, I don't know that we had T-shirts that were like "I love Bell Vegas" at this. There's thing. T-shirts. There are T-shirts. What? If you go to Belleville, you can get a <laughs> Bell Vegas shirt. Um, I love Bell Vegas. So yes, I grew up there. So Southern Illinois. I'm a Southern Illinois boy. Um, I it was this is the thing. Like it's weird living in Chicago now because when I grew up, I always had to be like. I couldn't, when I went to other places, I learned to not say I was from Illinois because people would be like, oh, Chicago. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it's like literally 300 miles from Chicago. So now, and, and like at the time I was like, I'm not fucking from Chicago. You know, like, like, I'm like that's not where I'm from. I mean, now, of course I love Chicago. Right. But right. Um, I would just say St. Louis, even though technically that's in Missouri, but it's close. It was a, basically a suburb, Illinois suburb of Missouri. What yeah. were you, um, what were you like as a child? Oh, good. <laughs> I was, I mean, I think uh, I've listened to some of your other episodes of the podcast. I was definitely resonating with Scott Olson's um, childhood, I think. Okay. <laughs> there was okay. a lot of, a lot of me by myself, like playing with things and making up kind of stories. Uh, it was really interesting. I was like, wow, maybe this is a common theme. It, w- was that what you're, ch- I mean, I'll finish answering your question, but I'm just curious, were you sitting alone playing with things as a kid? Oh my God. I was doing so much imagination. I thought yeah, everything right. was real. Like there was like kid shows. I remember as a kid when I was like, "Oh, I want to skidoo into that little world" or stuff like that. I didn't have a lot of friends. That and yeah. I had. I was my. I was my own friend. Right. It's. It's. It is one of those things, right? Where it's like, yeah. The I was. Well, so I was homeschooled through eighth grade. Um, okay. So that was a big thing, right? So, I mean that meant I had even less exposure to like other kids on a daily basis. I mean, I had, I had cousins who lived upstairs and like I had friends on the block and I had lots of friends through, like we had a homeschool group where we like all mm-hmm. go and like play and stuff. My mom was kind of like a hippie, you know, very like outside of the box education. So, um, so yeah. So as a kid, I was, I mean, I was an only child, essentially. I had a half sister, but I didn't grow up with her. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, a lot of time, a lot of playing with Legos and I would make up stories. Like I had like recurring characters and I would make up stories. And when I got older, I'd actually make like film, like stop motion animation films with the Legos where like these characters would, you know, have stories and stuff. So there was, yeah, like I think I was often, I was interested in both acting and directing when I was a kid, I think because of that, because I was like interested in being the, as an only child, I mean, I think this is a thing too, right? I was like, 
you like to be in control as an only child or you get used to being in control. So it's like having this, like, I am the star and also I'm the director and also I'm the cop, you know, like it's like, I do everything. <laughs> I have the best ideas. Right. <laughs> like, as, as like the oldest of like four, three other siblings, I, I can't, I couldn't do that. Like we were trying to do like these little adventures when we were kids, but I was like, no, I want to lead this adventure. And then sister would go, well, what about this? And I'd be like, no, we can't do this. We like, we, 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 um, recreated the scene in Twister when we're twisting away from the tornado. Wow. Cause I was like, and we're in my mom's van. I don't know how to drive the car. We're just in the um, driveway and we're just driving around yelling. And then my sister goes, Hey, look, there's a farm. No, the farm is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, there would be times when I would be like, just walking down the street and I'd be like pretending like the entire neighborhood was like a movie set and like making up all these sort of like meta layers. Like I was meta before it was cool. Like I think, um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I, um, yeah, a lot of like making up stories with, yeah, like Playmobil connects, especially Legos. Um, I would have these giant like villages, you know, set up. And my mom was pretty kind of let me have, she probably gave me too much freedom and allowing me to do all this stuff because, you know, I think a lot of times there was just like our entire living room was taken up with like random things I had constructed. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, I didn't always want to be like for originally, I, well, I wanted to be a clown. That was my first dream job. Um, okay. And then <laughs> I didn't have that negative association. I'd never seen it as a kid. So I was like, clowns okay. fun. I like clowns. And then I wanted to be an architect for a while. So I guess related. Mm. I mean, it's arts. Right. And then, right. Yeah, started to get more into like being like, oh, performing, you know, when I was a little. Was there, did your parents do anything with the arts? Um, not really. I would say they were art, definitely artistically supportive. You know, they were people that were, I mean, like as a kid, you know, so my parents split up when I was really young. So like my dad didn't have as much of an influence on my growing up, but I would see him at least once a year. He played a lot of music, um, like, like he, he plays a few different instruments, plays guitar. So there was kind of some musical, you know, performance aspect there. He's, he's a bit of a, like a, he's definitely like an extroverted kind of guy. I mean, he would goof around. He was the star of a couple of movies I made when I was a kid, you know, so he was like, he was definitely a ham. My mom um, could be kind of dramatic too. So she often says that she's like, maybe all this drama, <laughs> such a dramatic parent That's <laughs> where you got this. And she, um, but we would watch, watch a lot of movies as a kid. Like I remember watching a lot of movies with her, especially like older movies that always, that made me really interested in um, just, yeah, stories and storytelling and, and, and acting, you know? I mean, I think probably when I was a kid, I was imagining more going into film and theater just because that was my major. We didn't go to see a lot of plays as a kid, but um, it wasn't until later that I got into that. But, uh, but yeah, so, so they were artistically adjacent, I would say, but they weren't professionally artists or, or even you know, amateur artists. They just enjoy the arts and, you know, expose me to that. Right. And you talk about these movies and any of these old time movies. Do you remember a lot of them? The, the ones that I remember watching a lot as a kid are The Wizard of Oz, okay. um, Fiddler on the Roof. You know, I feel like they were on TV a lot. Those were two that like really stick out. Um, right. It's funny though, because we had a, my mom... <laughs> My mom was like, had all these special ideas of like things that she thought would encourage my creativity, you know? So she would like, we, we had a, we had a very small black and white TV. So I didn't realize, like, it was a long time into my life when I realized the actual effect of the Wizard of Oz, where it goes from black and white to color. Cause for me, it was always just black and white the whole time. Like, I was like, I'm like, it's, yeah, what's this whole thing about it? You know? Um, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean color? Yeah. What's that? What's that? Color yeah. exists in my world. So, um, but yeah, Fiddler on the Roof. So yeah, I guess uh, musicals. I mean, I think I loved musicals from a young age. I'm sure I saw Singing in the Rain at a pretty young age. We would watch lots of those. Like PBS would always be showing random old musicals, you know, like right. Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire stuff. So I think, and I was musical from a young age too. I didn't, I didn't learn to play an instrument really, but like I had a very musical mind. Like I would, I would make up little songs. Like my friends and I would, would make up like fake jingles for uh, like made up companies. <laughs> <laughs> like what what was the one yeah it was like 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 here's one of them it was like wheat mms wheat mms wheat mms they'll make you say mm, ba da da wheat mms <laughs> and then we, we had a tie-in we were very smart about this we had synergy we had wheat mms was also a sitcom where there was a family 
and some for some reason it was called Weepums, but like it was a whole like domestic family and there was like a weird funny robot that was always getting into mishaps but the theme song was the name was the theme song for this fake cracker product that was like a wheat thins imitation <laughs> and, and i'm not i'm not going to spend too much of the program doing this but there, there were a lot of theme songs that i still remember in my head they were very catchy so i could have gone into jingle writing i don't know what i, I was gonna say never too late but <laughs> But you went into film studies at Wesleyan University. Um, yeah. No, did, did you, I mean, was it just you wanted to be a director or like what's the um, process of film studies? Right. So it's interesting, right? So like in high school, so high school, I went to normal high school and I, I got really into theater, like among other things. I, I was one of those people that was doing way too many extracurriculars. You know, I was on the school newspaper and I was in show choir and all this stuff. So I discovered all that kind of stuff because I hadn't gotten a chance to do that as much as being homeschooled. And I really enjoyed theater performance, but I think still because I loved watching movies and stuff, I, there was still a part of me that liked the idea of creating that world. And I had made a lot of movies amateurly, you know, as a kid. So I think I knew I wanted to perform. Like I never wanted to do one or the other. Like I always wanted to do some combination of acting and directing. And I think somehow I was just drawn more to studying film than theater or like acting, right? I was just really interested in that. So I remember reading an art, uh, like a... Um, interview with like Martin Scorsese or something where he was saying you know like I went for undergrad I went to a liberal arts college which I really think is is a great way you should have a foundation right you learn about everything and then you develop your craft right in grad school you could like go to a more production oriented school but as an undergrad it's good to do like a liberal arts so I went to um yeah I I, I chose Wesleyan partly because of that because it's a liberal arts college uh east coast Wesleyan this is it's hard because there's like a million Wesleyans there's like Illinois Wesleyan and Ohio Wesleyan right I'm like ours is just Wesleyan ours is the <laughs> bougie one <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly um so I always like to name drop this it's where Lin-Manuel Miranda went it's our oh alum of of note the previous <laughs> alum of note was Joss Whedon um he was like our cool alum before sorry I, like, ah, uh, big deal he made Buffy the Vampire Slayer no yeah but did one. he rap did Joss Whedon rap the entire time no, no he, he didn't what a what a no talent hack um right no JK I love Joss Whedon but anyway so uh Joss Whedon if you're listening to this if you're listening to this I would be very honored <laughs> right? but anyway um so yeah so so film studies was it was I mean the degree there is amazing there's this woman Janine Basinger who who runs the department and she's like this sort of goddess of film she's just this sort of person that I mean she's like she would be like telling stories like oh yeah when I was on set with like Billy Wilder we were just chatting about this you know she just like she would she met all these like classic Hollywood directors who are legends now um you know people that directed some of the greatest films of the Hollywood era um and um she um so she was brilliant very very wise kind of ran built this department herself essentially before film studies was even a thing and yeah essentially the core of the the major was we would watch movies and then we would like analyze them write papers about them discuss them um most of it was kind of formalist as in it was talking about film from the perspective of like what was this director's intent and how did they use the tools of film to create this so for example like how do they use mise-en-scene which is essentially everything within the frame like the, the 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 decoration how you know what's inside the frame you know cinematography uh, editing um uh, lighting how do they use all these tools to create to uh make their meaning clear it was it was less like let's talk about like the symbolism of this you know of why is there a cup here that they're drinking you know it's like they hated that kind of thing this this school is more about like because a lot of the people that are going here are wanting to become directors it's more like more concrete as in what can we do um to make and so we're, we're essentially working backwards we're like okay by watching this movie how can we work backwards and think how did they how did they end up with this result and what was their process and kind of why did they do this and what is the the meaning of it all Right, because when I was in art school and we did acting classes, that was what we were doing. What's, what's, what's the symbolism behind you turning away or picking up the cup? And right. un, unlike just like the basic standards or requirements, I actually took a film class in high school oh, and, cool. and loved it. I, um, it. We watched this incredible film called Red Balloon. You ever heard of it? Oh yeah, that's like a French. It's the one with the little kid, and there's the yeah. right, right. It's been a long time, but I've seen it. Yeah, 
Oh, I mean, I mean same. Um, but like one of the reasons why I, I, I wanted to become a film critic before I even wanted to do any of the theater stuff. So I took that class and I was in film club and all that. And I was really struck by more short films than like actually full length films because I think it's so incredible to make a story like that condense it into you know, 30 minutes or less. I think that's for me, it was really incredible to watch. In some ways it's harder. And that's why we had like for our, our thesis project, you had options. You could like write a feature length screenplay or you could write an analytical paper or you could direct a short film, but the limit was 12 minutes, which is mm -hmm. really tight. It's like, but the idea was, yeah, it's very easy to make like a rambling movie. I mean, not easy, but like, you know, it's, it's much easier to make this movie that kind of rambles around than like having to, to make this concise story that fits into 12 minutes. Um, yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult, you know, for the same reason, like short plays are always really impressive when you can sort of pack, pack something in like an impactful thing into a short time. Right. And, and at this point in college, what kind of director did you see yourself being? I think, well, I was still, I was still uh, always interested in musicals, I think. I think, hmm. again, because I, in fact, my thesis film was a musical um, that, I, oh. that I wrote, co-wrote the music for. Um, which is still available on if you want to watch it on YouTube. It's called What's it One called? Call. Called One Missed Call, which is funny because there was a horror film called One Missed Call that came out right around the same time. Mine is not that. Uh, that is not my film. Mine is a uh, yeah. It's it's a sort of um, not tragic. That would be bittersweet love story. I would say in twelve minutes. I mean, these people meet and fall in love and you know, I said bittersweet. I won't give away the ending, but um, 12 minutes, you know, I'm always fascinated with those kind of stories. Those kind of like beautiful tragedies, I guess would be like, you know, West Side Story would be a more extreme example, which is probably my favorite movie musical. Um, but like these things where it feels like faded, like the, like, like, it's like this, this thing, it's like everything feels like this, this had to happen in this particular way. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think musicals, maybe like, I loved Hitchcock too. I mean, still do. Um, so I think sort of suspense, sort of thriller type things. So I think musicals and suspense thrillers were definitely both, both things that I was interested in directing. But again, I wanted to perform too. And I was, I was doing like, I was acting in a show a semester um, there in like the student run theater. How good was um, the theater program there? So this is a key, right? This is a big thing. No offense to Wesleyan, but I had contemplated double majoring going into Wesleyan. I knew film was like my priority, but I was like, well, but I want to be an actor also. So like, I'd love to study theater, but like the theater department there was very experimental, which is not really in my bag. Um, I think I, yeah, I, certainly not that time. Maybe I'm a little more open to it now, but at that time I was just like, this is just like, I don't know. I like stuff that's, I like stuff that's more emotional and less intellectual. And I feel like a lot of their theater was very, it was like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't like, you know, if you can get me on the track with these guys, I'm just like not, I'm not a big, like all that mid-century stuff, like Brecht and like um, uh, Beckett, you know, all that stuff. I just, and like Theater of the Absurd, all that kind of stuff. Like, I feel like that's what their department was built around. And I just, it, it didn't connect with me at that time. I mean, I, I think I could revisit it, but it just, it's just not the kind of theater that I love. I certainly not then. And even now it's not my favorite kind of stuff. Right. I mean, that's what fire art school was like every now and then. Maybe, maybe, maybe a lot of schools. I just want like honest, like meat and potatoes. I mean, it doesn't have to be like Arthur Miller, you know, but it's like right. stuff that's like a little more, you know, connect stuff that I, that's connected, like emotional, right? It has to right. feel a connection to it. Not just something where I'm like, ah, oh, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. That piece of art really struck me. Right. Like you have the pinky up and like, hmm, this 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 art right here. Oh yes, yes, yes. I see what they did. It's like it's like when you look at a painting and you're like, and it like you like like. There's sometimes I look at paintings and I'm like, it's not until I read the little blurb on the side that I appreciate it. But I don't want that. Like that's not the kind of art I like. I like art that directly impacts me viscerally. I don't want to have to read something afterwards to be impressed with its brilliance. You know, right? I just want it to, to hit. Right. It's like that staying in the moment kind of feeling instead of not having to think about it after. Well, you can think about it after how it affects you, but like how it affects you in that moment, kind of like being in on stage, you know? Exactly. Is that, is that another segue? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, sort of. I, I'm curious. So 
at the end of your time, what was the plan? What did you end up doing after? Yeah. So it was, yeah, I've, I've had a very man, meandering life path, I would say. I think, again, part of it is the polyglot thing. There's just like, there's, th- this is a blessing and a curse to enjoy doing a lot of things like I do, is that I, I don't know if I ever had a moment when I was like, this is death. I mean, I knew for sure I wanted to study film in college. But I don't know if I ever had a moment when I was like, this is what I will be doing the rest of my life. I think for a while I had this sort of plan, like, I'm going to act for a while, like after college, I'm going to act for a while. Then I'm going to move up to directing, which happens, right, with a lot of actors. They act for a while and they go into directing. Um, Then eventually I will create a theme park, potentially inspired by some of the uh, films that I've made. (laughs) How's that going out for you right now? Did you? Didn't see that one coming. Yeah. (laughs) Nice (laughs) twist. (laughs) (laughs) But I would create maps of like imaginary theme parks as a child. People who listen to this podcast are just going to be like, who the heck is this guy? Um, Um, but anyway, yeah. So when I graduated college, I, I was like, yeah, what am I going to do? I was like, where do I want to move? What do I want to do? Um, I, although I almost always was like, maybe I should move there. I always had like a knee jerk reaction against LA. Um, I just, I just don't like, I don't like as literally, I was just talking to somebody on my bike tour today that I was leading. I lead bike tours, Bobby's bike hike. It's great. Check it out while you're in Chicago. (laughs) Um, I, they yeah they were saying something like LA it's like very superficial which I think again you know generalization not everyone there is superficial but there's just a a feeling of like people just kind of looking at you and being like what you know what can you what can I get from you also cars I'm a biker I'm a walker I don't like driving so yeah too much of that so yeah I knew LA was probably out I mean I I explored it but I was like um and then New York was always an idea, but I think I wasn't quite ready to go there immediately. A lot of my friends went to New York straight after college. And I, I just, I hadn't studied abroad and I wanted to explore the world a bit. So I was always drawn to Europe. I think partially because of all these old movies I had watched that had, that were set in Europe, you know, like an American in Paris or like, um, uh, or like some of the ones I'd seen in college, like the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is beautiful French musical um even like stuff like the pink panther like there there you know some hitchcock stuff there's just this sort of the sort of atmosphere in europe that i wanted to experience in person so i went i ended up uh and i found like the easiest way to get to europe was to teach kids like that's the easiest job to get as an american is to teach kids and at the time i was like i don't know about working with kids like that that was never really something i thought i would want to do but um i ended up before going to this is a very the, the story will lead somewhere believe me um before uh <clears throat> be, i was like before i go to europe and work with kids it's probably good if i have some experience working with kids so i found a camp at the time i was living in boston because my dad was living there i was i just sort of was hanging out there for the first year or so after college doing a few little acting gigs here and there and um i i found a summer camp in new hampshire that was needed a filmmaking instructor um so I was like oh this could be cool and it's like you know using my degree but also working with kids which will help lead to this Europe thing so I did that it was awesome I even created a band I created a a band called the lamb and his chops while I was at the summer camp and wrote children's music another potential alternate career path I didn't pursue (laughs) the the reason for the it's because I have sideburns so the idea is like I am the lamb and these are my chops. That would be my introductory thing. But the idea also the chops being my, my co-stars. Um, there is an, there's, a, there's a rap song that I wrote about this camp um, that's, that's also on YouTube. You can find it. Ken would an evergreen rap. Anyway, giving people lots of YouTube rabbit holes to go. This is great. No, the, the profile here. <laughs> so, I, um, so I did that. I loved it, obviously. Then I applied to this camp in France, which was called American Village, which was a camp um, it was an American immersion camp for French children, which I just think is a hilarious concept. Just take a moment and think about that. Hey, French kids, we're going to inoculate you with American culture. So they would arrive and we would be like, okay, now you have to have a new American name. You're not Jean-Pierre anymore. You're Hulk Hogan. Or like, you're not, <laughs> you're not like, you're not Pierre. You're now Cheeseburger Man. You know, we, they'd all be stupid names. <laughs> what? <laughs> What are, you, what, are you, what are you doing to their emotions <laughs> it was them they would go through customs 
and we yeah, were right. I think we were supposed to give them like normal American names like Tom or Bob. <laughs> but our our that our director was like he he was like this is fun the kids will enjoy it you know it was nothing insulting like we weren't right. like calling them like butt face we were just like giving them fun names you know. Um, but so you like, came we would, you you came close to calling one of them butt face probably at one yeah. point. Yeah, not me. Probably one of the bad counselors. I was a good counselor, you know. I was, I was, okay. Yeah. It's a good cop, bad cop. But anyway, so, but we would do these sketches there, right? So it was actually, even though it was like working with kids and not technically an acting gig, I was, had this chance, you know, kids are a great audience because kids are very honest, right? You you can really hone your craft performing in front of children because they, if they are bored, it will be very obvious to you. They will, they will be squirming. They will like be looking away. They'll be making noise, right? Things that like genteel, you know, elder theater patrons would not do. Um, so it, that, that was, that's a great, it's a great learning spot. We do all these like absurd things that probably, I mean, this was in 2011, I, you know, we're more woke now than we were then probably some of the things we did in these sketches were, you know, bordering on like, I don't know, it was, you know, a lot of, it was a lot of dressing and drag and things like that, you know, it was all in good fun, but it was mm-hmm. a little silly, but um, a lot of fun, you know, caricatures and stuff that we would do. And then a guy I worked with, at this camp in France was like, you know, you love performing. He was, except you tell me like that he was Australian. My, my Australian accent isn't that great. So I'm not going to do it for very long. But if you want to do was, it, go ahead. He was like, Gabe, Gabe, you got you to gotta do this uh, camp I did in uh, Italy. It's great. Um, uh, but it was, a, it was a company that did touring children's theater in Italy, um, mm-hmm. which is like, was probably my favorite job I've ever done traveling around Italy, going to these small towns I would have never heard of. Everyone has amazing food. It's beautiful. It's historic. People are very kind. And getting to perform theater for kids, we would just go to these little schools and we'd set up our little stage. I was with three British people. We were in a a, a van of four. They were like four person, just coincidentally, they were all British. Um, And we traveled around and we performed theater as a supplement to their English education. So again, honing my craft in front of kids, also getting to travel Italy also getting to um yeah do lots of just silly little skits and teach english so it was like it was cool because it felt like it felt meaningful right like it's like not just in my performing which is fun for me i'm also teaching helping make kids experience with this language that they're already learning more dynamic and more more interesting right that's that is very cool and you know you call yourself a tourist and i was just like the beginning or the essentials of how you got started as a tourist um a tourist you mean like uh or tour guide wait tour like tour just being a tourist of the world kind of yeah because you said you love to go on these adventures and go look at the world and was this kind of like the start of it I mean I traveled a ton when I was a kid so like my mom we would do a lot of not internationally but domestically we would do lots of we did a big trip like I had an entire year of my childhood that was like a school year on the road. We literally traveled, we were learning about the revolution. So we like traveled to Boston and like studied, you know, we went to like the battle sites and like Paul Revere's house and like all this stuff. Right. Um, And uh, yeah. So, so the travel bug was always within me, both of my parents, my dad and I would do lots of camping trips as a kid. So traveling, seeing new places, being outside, that was always a big part, but this was my first time doing it on my own, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was there, uh, so you, you, you taught in Italy, you taught in France, you also taught in China. Was there a culture that you uh, love the most or like really um, connected with the most? Yeah. So that, yeah, the job in China was kind of a similar thing, kind of a camp. I, that's tough to say. I, I think France and Italy are pretty closely tied. No offense to China. It's not, I, it was very interesting, but it wasn't like, <clears throat> I couldn't see myself living there. I could definitely see myself living in Italy or France. Um, there's a sort of, it's funny. I think France gets a bad rap. I think it's very frequent. I hear people go to France and they're like, oh, the people were really rude. You know, people are always like, oh, the scenery was great and the food was good, but the people were kind of rude. I find there's, there's some sort of like, same way I feel about New Yorkers, honestly. I feel like New Yorkers also get a bad rap. I just think there's sort of an honesty, but I kind of appreciate the, like it can be brusque. It can be very direct, but I appreciate that they're just honest about how they feel. And, and like French people are kind of pretentious, but they're kind of self-aware about the pretension in a way that, you know, how, how I think LA is kind of pretentious, but I don't know if they're self-aware about it. Um, I think French people are like, they're like, uh, yes, we have these opinions, but we can laugh about it, you know? I don't know. 
there's just something i don't know i just am very charmed you know i mean everybody has that culture that they're just you know that they're just charmed by i think so for me that is that is french so i, th I think french has the deepest seated kind of love but italy i would say had is the most delicious place i've ever visited most consistent oh, really? good meals I, almost every meal i had there was amazing what kind of foods were they serving um you know like lots of tacos and burritos no like, I mean, like oh pasta. okay <laughs> i would have pasta, believed you that's the thing <laughs> pasta pizza you know caprese salads you know everything you would expect to be in italy but like so much better than any version of those things i'd ever had anywhere before like just so good and always the ingredients you know it'd be like this guy that's like you know 60 years old that's like He's like, I just, I, what am I doing? Being like, I am a Borat. No, I'm like, what voice <laughs> do I do? <laughs> Guys, seriously, my dialect work is great. Please hire me. <laughs> no. um, he'd be like, I just appeared to these. Uh, I'm going to stop trying to do accents. It sounds like Dracula. <laughs> I want to pick uh, some vegetables to give. I'm not, I'm not cutting any of this out, by the way. One, two, three, four <laughs> zucchinis. So anyway, so he would put all this stuff on. Yeah, so just like really fresh vegetables. Um, and just just the commitment to quality of food there is incredible. And like these, you'd see these like Italian mamas like like who would present the food. And like this woman, like she had the thickest forearms I've ever seen on a woman. Like she was like, obviously just she's working with this pasta, like making homemade pasta and all this stuff. Like, you know, that's a, that's a job. You know, it's a big job these people are doing um so just really really amazing and you would go to like a convenience store like in a small town like the equivalent of a place like a gas station here which is not a place you're going to find good food in the united states generally but like you would sit they would have like a couple of tables in the back and you'd sit down and you would have like one of the best salads you've ever eaten in your life it's just like it's amazing it's a great place and how long were you doing all this teaching for so it was a period of my life of about five years like starting with graduation about five years of my life when I was kind of off and on doing this like there was a period of time when it would be like the spring I'd be working in France the summer I'd be working in uh, at that summer camp teaching filmmaking the fall I'd just be kind of bopping around doing some acting gigs in Boston and then in the winter I'd be like hanging out with my mom in St. Louis so it wasn't like consistently but yeah a period of about four or five years uh, okay, I was. I wanted to make sure because it made it sound like you were just there the entire time. I'm like, how? When did you go back home oh, and all no, that? Because most of these contracts were like a couple of months. Like, I, I, with the exception of the Italy one, it was always when I was still on the tourist visa, so I could only stay there for ninety days before having okay. to come back. So I was, I wasn't like permanently living over there. And so when after this was done, was Chicago just the next step, or what was like the next step when you were done? Yeah. So I had this big kind of quarter life crisis. I was just kind of tired. This is when I was like 20, 26. <clears throat> I was just tired of kind of floating around. I think I was just getting tired of that. I just felt very unmoored, very kind of um, like I, I, not that I lacked direction because I was enjoying what I was doing, but I think I just was like, I want to be settled in one place. I want to try to give like acting in the traditional way, like the hustle. I want to try to do the hustle. Like I want to like be in a place, build up a community you know, get, get an agent, all that kind of stuff that, you know, is kind of the traditional actor life mm. and live that life. And again, I toyed with, again, I was like New York, LA, Chicago, like Chicago was kind of an afterthought, actually. Originally I was, um, cause even though I grew up in the Midwest, I didn't really have any family in Chicago. So I didn't visit there much as a kid, whereas I did have family on the East coast and West coast. Um, but by this point, a lot of my high school friends, like some of my high school friends had gone to Columbia um, and a lot of them were in, still in Chicago, some of whom were doing theater. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I do have a community there. And I had college friends in New York, so I, I would have had a community there too. But I think I was just like, yeah, Chicago, it's it's more approachable. It's cheaper. Um, it's like, because I came up here to check it out. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I, like, I didn't know it as well. I think I liked that too. I almost felt like I knew New York better in some at that point in my life. So I think it was kind of fun as like a unknown commodity where it was like, just kind of a place I could explore and yeah, cheaper. And I had a friend, like I was here visiting um, one of my friends from high school and I stayed at his place and like, we all, we all got really drunk. And he was like, he was like, Gabe, my room is going to be moving out pretty soon. You know, you should move in. You should move in. You should come to Chicago. 
and like obviously i kind of discounted it because i was like he's really drunk when he's saying this to me but um i thought about it afterwards and i was like yeah what the heck let's do it so two months later i was i was moving into chicago and after the five years of teaching and then you moved to chicago what did your parents think about where you were at your life um that's a good question yeah i I would say in some ways my parents are maybe like, especially my mom, I don't know if, if the description could be like too open, but she's definitely never somebody. I mean, I'm sure if I was like, Hey, I'm going to be a stripper mom, she'd probably have an objection, but you know, like, I mean, she's somebody who I think no matter what I did in my life, she would be supportive, which is a beautiful thing in a parent. Right. I think that's a great, a great quality. Um, but she's also not one of those people that ever really says, Oh, she also doesn't push super hard which maybe is sometimes, maybe sometimes I would have liked to have been pushed. Like she, she, she's never like, why aren't you doing like bigger things or like what? I think she's just kind of like, you know, life's a journey. However you're getting there, wherever you're going, doesn't matter what you're doing. Like there's no judgment about like, oh, like why aren't you doing more equity? You know, she's just not a judgmental person. She's just like, she's just happy that I'm happy. And I think at that time she, I mean, she thought that jobs, she was like, my son is traveling in Italy, like teaching kids. I mean, I think she loved that. My dad is like, I mean, I don't talk to him as much about it because we're not quite as close, but my dad is, I mean, I don't know if he has been, he certainly hasn't openly expressed like, but he, every once in a while he'll say things like, oh, have you ever thought about doing this? Or like, why don't you, not like getting out of the arts, I think just maybe like trying to push me to like aim higher. Well, I, I think I think a good way to say it, especially my mom, my, my parents are really not motivated by money, my dad a little more so but my mom is like, I, I think I think passion is is more the motivating factor for them and, and what they want me to be motivated by, like, like, what do you enjoy doing? Because you know, money will work itself out, like I think is kind of the idea, right? Um, and I, I think there was just this kind of idea of and something else that I think to give my mom really good credit for, you know, I graduated, it was the recession, right? It was 2009 is when I graduated college undergrad. Um, and I was like, very much like, oh, uh, like, you know, I was, I was getting into that zone of like, all my friends were like, oh, there's no jobs, everything sucks, you know? And I mean, like, no, <laughs> I feel very bad for you. This is a much worse situation. <laughs> it's like, oh, the recession, it was so hard, but like you're graduating into COVID, but yeah, it'll, it'll work itself out. But um yeah, my mom was just like, no, you got to be, you got to be confident. There's always opportunities out there. And then like, I think like I, I submitted to be this like videographer for like a B and B, this little gig where I like filmed some videos. And then I ended up getting like several gigs out of that. And I was like filming all these videos for this company. And I wasn't even going to apply. Cause it was like, it, like the, it was, it was past, like it had been posted like a month before. And I was like, Oh, I'm sure they hired somebody already, but the person had dropped. Um, so I think my mom has been good about instilling that idea in me and that like, there's always opportunities. You can always find something. Um, and I think that's guided me through the pandemic too. Of Like, oh, there's still little gigs happening here and there. There's still theater happening. You know, the hustle has slowed down, but there's still, there's still things to do. And like, yeah, it's about the passion. It's not about the money. Right. And I still, and back to you, I think it's so cool that even after you traveled around the world, you came back and you still kept doing theater for young audiences. Uh, you did, you know, I heard about you in Lyle Lyle Crocodile with Lifeline last fall. I, I applied for an internship and had to sort and was researching that show. Um, I heard about you doing the Polar Express. Um, I, um, and I think you kind of talked about this, but um, I had other professors on the show before, and I'm always curious about this, but do you kind of find yourself or like see little Gabe's in the students that you've taught or even like performed in front of I think it's I, th I think that's a really interesting idea of just seeing like like for me for instance like a Matt or a Matthew in a and any kind of students just based on how they are oh yeah I think so I mean I mean not that I mean I'm, that might be like overly narcissistic to be like oh yeah everyone's gonna be a little gay but I'm just gonna <laughs> you know there are gonna be lots of me's running around the world no, but but I think definitely, yeah, I mean, more so when I was working, I think, you know, like the, the job in France and the job in, in um, uh, New Hampshire too, like teaching filmmaking, those, I mean, I was getting a longer chance to get to know the kids. You know, the job in France was like a week or sometimes two weeks I'd have with the kids. So you could really form relationships with them, really get to know them. Um, 
you know, the job in Italy, we do a quick workshop afterwards. And like, if I'm performing here in Chicago, I barely even get to meet anybody. It's just like, we might sign autographs after the show. So there's not, you're not able to have as deep of a connection, but there were definitely kids. Yeah. When I was working abroad where I was like, yeah, like there was kids that I was like, okay, this is a kid that's awkward right now that doesn't fit in, you know, childhood socialization can be very cruel and very, um, you know, clickish and everything. So I think, and for me, being coming from being homeschooled, I was very shy as a kid, especially going into the high school environment. It was like a huge culture shock, not academically. It wasn't hard academically, but socially it was very difficult. Um, so yeah, so I think I, I don't think I ever saw myself doing theater for young audiences initially, you know, like when I was in college or whatnot, that wasn't my plan. But yeah, especially after these experiences working with kids abroad, I really saw as I kind of touched on already, like I saw this kind of way that this is like, this can be inspiring, not necessarily just in inspiring people to be theater, like be a little Gabe, a future, future world traveler, you know, um, potential theme park designer, but like, you know, somebody who's, um, where you can ignite that spark of imagination within them, you know, like show them that, you know, that, that there's, there's possibilities, you know, like the, a lot of the, like I worked with adventure stage, which I love, um, I love like adventure stage was a fantastic experience lifeline polar I mean all these have been great experiences but adventure stage and lifeline both have have a lot of outreach they do to to communities of color and especially adventure stage I mean they specifically are performing for like communities of color usually and try to include a lot of performers of color in their shows um and like these kids that are, they sometimes grow up in an environment where things seem hopeless you know like where because of all the 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 disinvestment in some of these communities where they can see this magical world being created on stage and talk to these people uh you know the actor we would have talkbacks like um and these kids have brilliant questions right when you're a kid you're you you're not you're not self-censoring right you have these these beautiful um sort of insight and they're smart right no matter every kid is smart right in different ways you know they're all smart and and you see these kids and just hope that maybe this little moment of seeing a show it's like an hour long can shift their trajectory of their life maybe just a little bit like to push them towards oh there's there's other things you can do than just you know you there's life outside of this community there's life outside of you know whatever difficulties they're facing you could go into a theater career you could go into whatever career but it's just the imagination imagination is key I think right so I kind of want to segue um, I found out something about you which is during your time off you like to walk by the lake and strum a couple chords on your on your uh ukulele so my question to you is if we had to put you in charge of uh, playing music at a wedding and your instrument was a ukulele what kind of songs and music would you bring to the table Ooh, that's a good question um i mean i love i love me some good like 70s singer songwriter stuff like you know james taylor cat stevens i'm mm -hmm. i'm kind of an old soul so I, I collect vinyl and a lot of the music I'm into is like from my parents' generation. It's really funny because my mom got rid of all of her records. And whenever I get a new one, she's like, ah, I had this. I wish I would have kept it longer to give to you because you just keep buying the records I owned. Um, probably, and, and you know, you got to go with a classic like that, you know, the the Somewhere Over the Rainbow by Israel Kama Kawihiole. I may have butchered that name, but you know, Hawaiian, the Hawaiian guy that did the, um, um, that's a classic, always, always is a beautiful song. I like Hallelujah by, by Leonard Cohen a lot, <clears throat> like mm -hmm. the Jeff Buckley kind of, or Rufus Wainwright kind of version. Um, so that kind of stuff, that's kind of my typical, sort of like sweet singer songwritery, kind of a little bit on the mellow side, I think would be what I would play. And that's the kind of stuff I write too when I write music. I was gonna ask you like, what kind of inspires you to kind of write songs? Yeah, I'm, I mean, again, like I said, I'm all, I, I've always been musical. I think it's all part of the same package. I mean, like Charlie Chaplin, <laughs> I'm just like Charlie Chaplin, guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Charlie Chaplin wrote music for his, right, he directed, he wrote the script, he wrote the music, he created the bits. Um, I think maybe as a kid, I thought I was going to do something like that. I don't know if that's necessarily in the cards, but I'm, I'm interested in a lot of aspects of the creative process. Um, so music, like I was in a Zoom play this summer where we had some, there were some songs involved in it, um, Stupid Fucking Bird, um, and we didn't have the music to the songs. So I just wrote original music for the, the oh. songs. So <clears throat> so I, I am using my, my musical talents at times. And obviously I do a lot of musical theater, but I, I just, 
yeah i just i just think of things in a musical way i think and i i just like i like writing music that's actually one of my this winter i'm gonna try to record an album that's my my plan i've had a i've had a, a lot of songs kind of floating around and i want to get them recorded get them like put into a cohesive package i have some friends who are musicians try to get together in some sort of socially distanced way it, it's, it's still sort of a it's not a concrete plan yet but that's it's a goal of mine well i can't i can't wait so we do have some time we're gonna play a game this game is called time for two two minutes on the clock uh random icebreaker questions we don't care what your answer is we just want to see what you got are Great. you ready my friend so just kind of first instinct what comes to my head absolutely i'm ready Bring all right here on. we go three two one go is alex trebek the greatest game show host of all time yes uncle joey or uncle jesse uncle jesse coffee or tea um wait i think i meant joey joey's the goofy one right <laughs> cut yep. it out um coffee uh what do you like to put on your pizza um sausage uh pep no sausage mushroom and spinach for a deep nice. dish Ooh, uh, are you a morning or night person? Night. Um, are you a sunrise or sunset kind of a guy? Sunset, same reason. Yeah. Alligators or crocodiles? Alligator? No, crocodiles like Lyle. <laughs> uh, uh, what? Who's your favorite SNL character? Oh, it's such a good question. This is very specific, but this is going to be a long. <laughs> The, the skit I always think about is the one, it was, oh, it was, we're going to have to cut part of this out because it's going to, it's the one with Bill Hader where, where he's like, somebody's describing a tragic accident and everything they, everything, everything they say as it gets more and more gruesome, he's like, yes. And he's like some sort of news anchor. I don't know what the name of that character is, but that's, that's what came to mind. That one. Um. Uh, Jimmy Stewart's greatest performance performance is It's a Wonderful Life, correct? Correct. Uh, Burt Reynolds or Turd Ferguson? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go with Burt Reynolds. I actually don't know who Turd Ferguson is. That's okay. Favorite Beatle? Uh, Paul, for sure. Uh, do you hit the treadmill or hit the couch? Uh, neither. <laughs> uh, are you a listener or a talker? Talker. Is it a beautiful day in the neighborhood? Yes. And that's how we play. Hey. Hey. We're not, we, yeah, we're not cutting out that answer at all. <laughs> People got to know the, the true game is very rambling. I'm a rambling <laughs> man. No, that's perfectly fine. In life and in, and in my conversation. So, Gabe, uh, before we go, is there anything you want to promote? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be in a great little thing called the uh, Young Playwrights Festival which is normally in person, but of course is online now. It's going to be through Pegasus Theater. And it's going to be, I don't know the exact way it's going to be shown because it's going to be filmed. So it's either going to be streamed to YouTube or, or some other method, but it's essentially young playwrights, um, like in high school, high school age kids that have written some plays that have been selected to be part of this. So I will be in one of these plays. I'll be playing Da Vinci. So I got to work on my, no, I'm not doing an Italian accent. <laughs> But okay. the was a polyglot, so it ties into what we were talking about. A polyglot, polyglot playing a polyglot. Say that five times fast. And <laughs> not only that, in another uh, post-apocalyptic comedy, I'll be playing the ghost of Elvis. <laughs> so lots of reasons to tune in, folks. I, I can't wait. So Gabe, before we go, my last question to you is, are your parents proud of you? Yes, definitely my mom, maybe, probably my dad. <laughs> yeah, probably. Gabe, my friend, I can't thank you so much for taking some time to come on the show. So much fun. Matthew, it's been a pleasure. I, I'm very honored that you chose me to be on this podcast. And um, yeah, I look forward to hearing this one and, and the upcoming ones. Howdy, hey, howdy, hey. That was our conversation with Gabe Freeze. What did you think, Griffin? I thought it was lovely. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I haven't, I haven't listened to it yet. This You say everything. Well, this, this, when we're recording this outro that I haven't, I haven't edited the episode yet. Griffin, who are you today? I'm, uh, 
shit. You'd think I would have thought of this beforehand. (laughs) I I am our official uh, water cooler man. That's a job, right? (laughs) Hey, water cooler man, come over. Give me a little something. Yeah, what what would you like? Uh, I I need two millers and a hot dog. I, I don't do that. I just I just give water. Oh really? Yeah, that's how that works. Um, Matt, tell them where they can find us. You can uh, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Parents Proud Podcast. Email us that hot email that is just coming in like turkey. Uh, oh, it's Podcast. so good. <laughs> Parents Proud Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Please wear the mask. Oh, please wear the mask. I we want this to end. Yeah, it's it. It is still no end in sight. But uh, cross your fingers. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see you next week. Yep. He's Matthew Shoe I'm Griffin McCorkle. We're signing off. Bye-bye. Bye bye.